You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Mercy and Truth Hello and welcome to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphian Video. God, whose character is truth, through mercy, extends forgiveness to erring believers through the willing sacrifice of his Son. Therefore, mercy and truth agree together as one. One of the things or outcomes of what we would like to have a look at um, over two evenings, God willing, is to come to know who God is through this subject. Because when we come to this subject, we uh, come into the very presence of God is who God is. And God willing, we'll also appreciate that when we consider this subject, that we will see that mercy and truth do not operate in isolation of one another. And we'll see that they work together. And one of the um, subjects that we'll look at very briefly this evening um, on its own is the aspect of truth a little bit later on and try and identify what truth is in relation to the subject. Because I believe that sometimes we... uh, might confuse it with mercy and the truth. And maybe we just need to think about what this uh, phrase actually means as a whole with mercy and truth. So God willing, we'll, we'll see that. But before we begin, I'll ask Brother Graham if he can read Psalm 89 for us, please. Thanks, Hagen. Psalm 89. I will sing of the mercies of Yahweh forever. With my mouth, I will make known thy faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shalt thou establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David, my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. And the heavens shall praise thy wonders, O Yahweh, thy faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints. For who in the heaven can be compared unto Yahweh? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto Yahweh? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints, and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. O Yahweh, our love hosts, Who is a strong Yahweh like unto thee, or to thy faithfulness round about thee? Thou rulest the raging of the sea, when the waves thereof arise, thou stillest them. Thou hast broken Rahab in pieces, as one that is slain. Thou hast scattered thine enemies with thy strong arm. The heavens are thine, the earth also is thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, Thou hast founded them. The north and the south hast thou created them. 
Tabor and Hermon shall rejoice in thy name. Thou hast a mighty arm, strong as thy hand and high as thy right hand. Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Yahweh, in the light of thy countenance. In thy name shall they rejoice all the day, and in thy righteousness shall they be exalted. For thou art the glory of their strength, and in thy favor our horn shall be exalted. For Yahweh is our defense, and the Holy One of Israel is our king. Then thou spakest in vision to thy Holy One, and sayest, I have laid help upon one that is mighty. I have exalted one, chosen, unto the people. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil have I anointed him. With whom my hand shall be established. Mine arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not exact upon him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. And I will beat down his foes before his face and plague them that hate him. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand also in the sea, and his right hand in the rivers. He shall cry unto me, Thou art my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Also I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. My mercy will I keep for him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. His seed also will I make to endure forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then I will visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David, his seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven. But thou hast cast off and abhorred. Thou hast been wroth with thine anointed. Thou hast made void the covenant of thy servant. Thou hast profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. Thou hast broken down all his hedges. Thou hast brought his strongholds to ruin. All that pass by the way spoil him. He is a reproach to his neighbors. Thou hast set up the right hand of his adversaries. Thou hast made all his enemies to rejoice. Thou hast also turned the edge of his sword and hast not made him to stand in the battle. Thou hast made his glory to cease and cast down his throne to the ground. The days of his youth hast thou shortened. Thou hast covered him with shame. 
How long, Yahweh, wilt thou hide thyself forever? Shall thy wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. Wherefore hast thou made all men in vain? What man is he that liveth and shall not see death? Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? Lord, where are thy former loving kindnesses, which thou swearest unto David in thy truth? Remember, Lord, the reproach of thy, the reproach of thy servants, how I do bear in my bosom the reproach of all the mighty people, wherewith thine enemies have reproached, O Yahweh, wherewith they have reproached the footsteps of thine anointed. Blessed be Yahweh forevermore. Amen and amen. Thanks, Graham. Um, I know that was a fairly length, lengthy psalm, but uh, we will be having a look at that in a bit of detail um, going forward. So I thought we'd just read the whole psalm this evening. In order to um, just set the, the groundwork, brothers and sisters, to go forward with this subject, um, sorry, let me just go back one. Uh, I think we need to just take us a, a step back uh, from the subject and first of all, try and understand the, the aspect of grace and mercy. Is there a difference between the two? Uh, what, are we, what are we talking about when we use these terms? So generally it's accepted and we understand that grace means favor. And in the particular aspect of, of the scriptures, it means divine favor. It's God's favor upon mankind. And there is the sense in which this favor is unmerited. We have done nothing to deserve this favor from God. He has he's shown us this favor because of who he is. And then when we come to look at the subject of mercy, we see that it moves away a little bit from the idea of favor towards kindness or loving kindness and holds the idea to have pity. Now that's some important definitions that we need to remember. When we just think about who God is and, and, and his attributes, we do know that we, we come to our heavenly father and we know that he is a God of balance. He's balanced between goodness and severity. And so when judgment happens, God is allowing to happen to us what we deserve to happen. Because that is really the, the, the place that we find ourselves. We find ourselves that um, we are in, in God's judgment because of sin. But we know that right in the beginning, God implemented a system whereby man could approach, to, approach unto him. And this evening, as we go through the subject, it's going to be very helpful to remember that God works by covenant. So in the Old Testament, in the Garden of Eden, was the establishment of a covenant relationship between Adam and Eve and God. And that then moved into God's dealings with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and with Moses and Israel. It was all based upon this covenant relationship. And then that moves towards the New Testament with the covenant that we find ourselves in under the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just would like you to um, park that point in your minds because we'll have a look at the importance of covenant in relation to mercy a bit later. And then when we consider what mercy is, mercy is God not allowing 
to happen what we deserve to happen to us. So that's the, the, the attribute of mercy. And then grace is God showing us favor that we do not deserve, as we said just now at the beginning. So I think those, those um, definitions are, are fairly helpful in trying to just uh, make sense of, of, of where the subject is going. Because when we come to, uh, to look at the subject in any depth, we see that the first thing that we are introduced to with the Lord Jesus Christ is that we see him as grace and truth. Come over to John chapter 1 and at verse 14 and 18. Because this particular aspect of grace and truth was worked out in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's important to, to, to remember because what we see in the work of our Lord Jesus Christ is the beginning of the work of the new covenant. And we see in verse 14 that we read that John says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So with the Lord Jesus Christ, we see that it begins with this idea of grace and truth. And in examining the subject um, of, of mercy, we will, God willing, see that grace is the starting point and that mercy becomes the eternal principle. As there is a shift from grace to mercy as seen in our Lord Jesus Christ. But we'll see more of that next week, God willing. This evening, we would just like to understand mercy and truth. Firstly, as a characteristic of God himself. We'll unpack that a little bit, and then next week we'll pick it up again. But it's important to understand that in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have seen the outworking of the principles of grace and truth in an individual, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this subject would be lost on us if we don't understand that point. The whole idea of mercy and truth, or grace and truth, as we see it at the beginning stages of our Lord's ministry, is something that is to be lived. It's something that is to be manifested, it's something that's to be shown out in our lives. Our brother John Carter put it this way, there is antithesis between law and grace. Law involves man's activity. Grace denotes God's undeserved favor and his blessing without merit. We might set out the contrasts between the outworkings of law and grace in this way. Law leads to works and this in turn leads to merit. The whole process develops around man. It's man-centered and fosters human pride. Grace begins with God and calls for faith, and this leads to the glory of God. This process is entirely God-centered. And it's very useful to think of this, to appreciate grace and mercy. Because without the concept of grace, we would never come to understand mercy. So it's very important that we understand what John Carter is saying here in terms of of grace, because grace is God's activity, and law is man's activity. And it's very interesting that he develops this point, that if we become overly involved with law-keeping, it fosters human pride. But when we come to understand the subject of grace and truth and mercy and truth, we see that it needs to open up into us a way of life whereby we live God's character. And that really is the importance 
of this evening's subject. It's not just so that we may gain some extra knowledge along the way. It needs to translate into the way we live. Now, it's very interesting to see that the concept of mercy as a subject enters the record very early. We come to, to Genesis chapter 19, and at verse 19, Lot speaks of the mercy of God. He's got the angels that have come to visit him um, in this chapter. And he says, Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy, in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. So it's interesting that grace and mercy are identified in Lot's life at this particular point. So it, it shows us that Lot understood the principles at play here, that he had been the recipient of grace on God's part, but that the mercy had been shown to him that he would not die. And we need to really understand that the, 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 the servants of old understood this concept very well. Come to Genesis chapter 24 and verse 27. Um, Abraham's servant in the um, finding of a, of a wife for Isaac, when he, when he speaks of God and in his prayers, he says in verse 27, he said, Blessed be Yahweh, God of my master Abraham, who has not, not left me destitute, Sorry, you have not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I being in the way Yahweh led me to the house of my master's brethren. So it's, it's interesting to see that the servant of Abraham identifies the concept of mercy and truth in relation to his, to his successful journey that would happen. And we see that this is a direct... Um, result of Abraham's influence, because when Abraham was chosen, God said, I know him, that he will command his children in chapter 18, verse 19, um, and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of Yahweh to do justice and judgment, and Yahweh may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of. So I'd like you to remember the, the phrase that the servant uses of mercy and truth, and that in this uh, particular instance, we read of the justice and judgment that Abraham would keep of Yahweh, because we will see that that overlaps in some degree later on. When we come to the story of, of Joseph, we see that Joseph was the recipient of mercy, and he understood while he was in the prison that he had received mercy from, from Yahweh. And then in Genesis chapter 43 and at verse 14, Jacob praise for, for mercy to be upon his sons with what's going on in Egypt. And so we see that Jacob understood what mercy was about. And I thought that was quite interesting that very early on in the record, we have these um, allusions to the subject because you would probably tend to think that this would be developed much later on in the story, but it really is there from from the very beginning, isn't it? And when we come to uh, the, the, the journey through, through the wilderness and the making of the um, Ark of the Covenant in particular, as it 
was put into the most holy place in the tabernacle. And we know all the design and all the intricate details that went in with this. But the, the interesting uh, point to, to the whole concept of the law and, the, and the, 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 the artworking of what was going on in the, in the tabernacle, and in particular the Ark of the Covenant, is that the mercy seat is where God's meeting place was with Israel. And it's, it's interesting that in, in everything that the law presented and everything that the law gave, that it was here at the mercy seat, that the, the very essence of the covenant of the covenant of the of the Old Testament, that this is where God met with Israel. Come to Exodus chapter 15 and at verse 13 to begin with. In Exodus 15 and at verse 13, we read, um, Thou and thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. So we see that it was in God's mercy that Israel was brought out of Egypt. And then in Exodus chapter 25, we see that we have the remarkable chapter given to us how the tabernacle was built and everything was put together. And in verse 13, uh, sorry, we'll pick up the record in verse 20, because we don't need to go into all the details, but we know everything that went into the making of this Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle. And he says, in the cherubims, in verse 20, so let's just... Uh, Come in at verse 18, and they shalt make two cherubims of gold of beaten work, shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat, and make one cherub on the one end and the other cherub on the other end. Even of the mercy seat shall ye make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on the high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look one to another toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above. The mercy seat from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things, which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. So this here, brothers and sisters, was the focal point of the existence of Israel. This is where God met with Israel. It was at the mercy seat. Now, unfortunately for the children of Israel, they really just lost that message. They did not see that this was the essence of who God was. They didn't tie together the fact that God's character that was revealed to them had been revealed to them in the Ark of the Covenant. Because unfortunately, Israel got so caught up with the law keeping that was required of them that the beauty of what was revealed in the in the old covenant was missed upon most of them and it's only david in the psalms who really picks up upon the beauty of all these things and i forget which pioneer writer it was i think it was brother darling who who wrote and said that the spiritual israelite could see beyond the yoke of the law they could see the beauty of everything that had been prepared for them if they would but just look. And I think that is um, 
a very beautiful part of the Old Testament is understanding that despite what was going on with the Old Covenant, that God's mercy was there to be seen. When God's character was finally revealed to Israel, Moses, we see that the, the attributes of, of God are revealed to us. You see, we pick up the record in Exodus 33 and at verse 18, and we know that Moses had a very particularly intimate relationship with God. And he says in verse 18, I, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. So that's what Moses wanted to understand and see. He wanted to see the glory of his heavenly father. And God said, I will make my, all my goodness pass before thee, and I will, proclaim thee, I will proclaim the name of Yahweh before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So that's the first thing that we hear of the character of God as what's told to, to Moses. And then in chapter 34 and at verse 5, we pick up the record again, because here we have the full list which is given to us. And Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. And Yahweh passed by before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, Elohim, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. And here we see the, the, the full character of Yahweh revealed unto us. And we see that this is who God is, and we'll, we'll pick up on this a bit later. But for now, we just need to understand that the, the intrinsic nature of who God is, is that he operates on the principles of mercy and graciousness and long-suffering, and he's abundant in goodness and truth. So when we come to, to these kind of subjects in Scripture, we, we need to understand that we come into the very presence of our Heavenly Father, as we said at the outset. Because these are his characteristics. This is what he has shown to us. And we have all been recipients of these characteristics of our Heavenly Father because we have been called to a knowledge of the truth. So at this point, I'd ask you to come over to Psalm 89. Psalm 89 is a, is a fascinating psalm. As I was uh, going through preparations for, for this evening, I was, was wondering um, which way to go with the talk. And I, I came across Psalm 89, and I just thought it was absolutely fascinating that this psalm is written by a relatively unknown person. Ethan the Ezraite is the songwriter or author of Psalm 89. And as we read at the beginning, this is a maskil of Ethan the Ezraite. And as we know, maskil means to be instructive or to give instruction. and in addition to Psalm 89, Ethan is mentioned in 1 Kings 4, verse 31. Uh, I'll just quickly read that to you because I think it's quite um, interesting to see where he pops up in the record. In 1 Kings chapter 4, 
in verse 31, we read, for talking about Solomon, it says, for he was wiser than all men, wiser than Ethan the Ezrahite, and Heman and Kalkal and Dada, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all nations round about. So we understand from, from this particular verse that this Ethan character was, um, was particularly wise. And it was noteworthy to mention that Solomon was wiser than Ethan. And we see from the record that there were four brothers. Um, and we can unpack that a little bit if you want. Um, uh, later, I can give you the details. But what's fascinating in this psalm is that Ethan had a very deep appreciation of who Yahweh is and a very deep appreciation of how God operates and how God does things. And if we read this particular psalm with the background knowledge that this Ethan character was an exceptionally wise person, the psalm takes on um, a new meaning for us in many regards. Because the first thing that we see in this psalm is that the mercies of Yahweh are opened up to us. It says in verse 1, I will sing of the mercies of Yahweh forever. With my mouth I will make known thy faithfulness to all generations. For I have said in verse 2, mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shalt thou establish in the very heavens. And we see here that the wisdom of Ethan declares that the mercy of Yahweh is an eternal principle. And that we see more than once in this psalm, where he makes known that mercy will be there forever. It's an eternal principle. It's to all generations. My mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shall be established in the very heavens. And so he declares that this is a very important attribute of our heavenly father. And we see here in the psalm that he links mercy and faithfulness, as we see in these opening verses. And the word faithfulness here uh, means firmness, uh, security, uh, faithfulness, as we see, uh, stability, truly truth. It has the idea of truth behind it, but it's not the idea of mercy and truth that we are speaking of in our subject. This is the idea of faithfulness that he starts out with. Because he then goes on and he unpacks the idea of faithfulness and truth as the psalm unfolds. Now, in the Psalms, we come across this idea more than once. In Psalm 33, we see it, but let's just go to Psalm 98 and see what we, what we can pick up there. In Psalm 98 and at verse 3, we read, He hath remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel, all the ends of the earth, have seen the salvation of our God. And one thing we will see from Psalm 89 is that it speaks of salvation. And it speaks again here in, in Psalm 98 verse 3 about the salvation of our God in context of mercy and truth. And that's another very important aspect that we need to understand when it comes to the subject of mercy and truth, that it has to do with the salvation of our Heavenly Father that he has brought about. Psalm 100, 
And at verse 5, we read, For Yahweh is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generation. So these are the ideas of Yahweh's faithfulness and his truth. And then we come to Psalm 89, and at verse 5, and we read, The heavens shall praise thy wonders, O Yahweh, thy faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints. And then in verse 8, O Yahweh of hosts, who is a strong Yahweh like unto thee, or to thy faithfulness round about thee. Again in verse 24, but my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. And then in verse 33, nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take away from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fall. So these allusions here that we see, brothers and sisters, have to do with faithfulness, and it's not the word truth that we find predominantly used, which is the word emeth in relation to um, mercy and truth. This here has a slightly different meaning, but it, again, it leads up to the, the subject of mercy and truth in its full glory. Because in Psalm 89, and at verse 14, we read of the, of the phrase where emeth is used. It says, justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne, mercy and truth shall go before thy face. And there is the phrase that um, Abraham was told he would teach his servants. His servant then prayed about mercy and truth. And here this, the psalmist identifies for us the very real nub of the matter, so to speak. That when we come into the presence of our Heavenly Father, there is justice and judgment in his throne, and mercy and truth shall go before thy face. And we will see that going forward, it's always in the earth in the order of mercy and truth that we speak about the subject. In verse 24, we saw there was a slight reversal because the word faithfulness was used. But the real teaching belongs to the fact that we learn of mercy and truth. And it's important to understand, as we see so often in the Psalms, that ultimately this Psalm is about the Lord Jesus Christ. We just pick up one or two ideas. In verse 19, then, spakest in thou, then thou spakest in vision to thy Holy One and says, I've laid help upon one that is mighty. I have exalted one chosen out of the people. I found David, my servant, with my holy oil, have I anointed him. So we see that in the initial sentence talking about David, but there is one greater than David that is to come that we know. With my hand shall, shall sorry, with, with whom my hand shall be established, mine arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not exact upon him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. And I will beat down his foes before his face. And plague them that hate him. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. And that is the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 26, he shall cry unto me, Thou art my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him my, my firstborn higher than the kings of the earth. My mercy will I keep for him forevermore, and my covenant shall last with him. And so in verse 28, 
brothers and sisters, we now see very firmly the idea of mercy and covenant coming together. Now, we said at the outset that the subject of grace and mercy, uh, sorry, grace and truth and mercy and truth have to do with the establishments of covenant. They're based upon covenant relationships. Because without that, I submit to you, the subject would be fairly empty. Because when we come to uh, the subject a little bit deeper of who God is, uh, the Hebrew language speaks in a very particular way in that it speaks in concrete terms. It's The idea is not that God is merely merciful. He is mercy. He is the embodiment and essence of all that mercy means. He's not just the Savior. He is salvation. He's not just the God of truth. He is truth. And it's, it's a wonderful thing to to understand God in those terms. And when we take a, a, a step back from that, and we realize that God is all these things because of his holiness, that none of these things that he is are in conflict with one another. They are all righteous. They all um, therefore for us to understand. And that's the beauty of coming to the subject of seeing our heavenly father for who he is. And when we come to the New Testament, we see all this in the Lord Jesus Christ, because it was said of him, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So when we see the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 1, verse 14, he's there, full of grace and truth. He's there to see that's the Father before us. And therefore, do what the psalmist says in verse 89. After he's brought to us this lofty principle of justice and judgment and mercy and truth, and he says, blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Yahweh, in the light of thy countenance. In thy name shall they rejoice all the day, and in thy righteousness shall they be exalted. For thou art the glory of their strength, and in thy favor our horn shall be exalted. For Yahweh is our defense, the Holy One of Israel is our King. And so because of, of the subject of mercy and truth, brothers and sisters, we know the joyful sound. We know the joyful sound of salvation. We walk in the light of his countenance because opened up to us is the way of life. We rejoice in the name of Yahweh all the day. And Yahweh is our defense. Now, the idea of rejoicing in the name of Yahweh all the day, brothers and sisters, is, is an interesting one to think about. The other day, I, I listened to a, um, a talk that a brother had given in the UK, where he divided our lives into time management of how much time do we spend doing this? How much time do we spend going to work? How much time do we go uh, spend sleeping? How much time do we um, spend on leisure time and all those uh, things he was talking about. And while I was listening to the talk, I thought to myself, okay, so if we take that to the logical conclusion, we cannot exclude God from the eight hours of the day that we are, we are at work because we're actually fulfilling an obligation. But if we take with us the idea that we rejoice in the name of Yahweh all day in what we do, because we give of our best, we, we, we show the attributes of God 
to people that are around us, then we are living the principles of mercy and truth, and there's no need to compartmentalize our lives. And we don't need to chastise ourselves that, we, that we've spent eight hours at work and we haven't been um, doing the things of God, when in effect, our whole life should just be revolving around God and everything that we do. And I think that's the beauty of the subject, brothers and sisters, that it just opens up for us the wonders of the truth to such a great degree. And as he says in verse 18, Yahweh is our defense. The Holy One of Israel is our king. That is the privileged position that we find ourselves in. So in that regard, what is truth in the subject of mercy and truth? And I submit to you, brothers and sisters, that it has to do with the everlasting covenants of Yahweh because of his grace and mercy. In the particular context of Psalm 89 that we've been looking at here, the, the covenant that's spoken of in this particular psalm is the covenant with David. But in the context of looking at the story of the seeking of a wife for Isaac, the covenant that that servant knew was the one with Abraham. So that servant understood the concept of mercy and truth in terms of the covenant with Abraham. And so we see that the ideas are, are sort of, they sort of flow one into the other. We see from, it flows from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob through to David. And then we come to the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 1, verse 14 and 18. And it is the new covenant that was being established in Jesus. And we see that the final outworking of the um, work of the Lord Jesus Christ is in Psalm 85. Come back a few pages to Psalm 85. We read in, 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 in this particular Psalm about mercy again. In verse 7, show thy mercy, O Yahweh, and grant us thy salvation. Again, we see mercy and salvation together. I will hear what God, Yahweh, will speak. For he will speak peace unto his people and to his servants, but let them not turn to folly. Remember the idea of peace. Surely his salvation is nigh to them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. And that, brothers and sisters, was the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was the seed of promise. He was the one that would establish the new covenant. And so it is in him that we see it moves from grace and truth to mercy and truth are met together. They are not separate principles. They're eternal principles together. So we see in his life the outworking of the principles of mercy and truth and righteousness and peace have kissed one another. So why is this important? Ephesians chapter 2, brothers and sisters, just highlights for this, this for us. So I'd ask you to come to Ephesians chapter 2 as we just bring our thoughts to a close this evening. Because in Ephesians chapter 2, all these things are tied together for us in terms of the new covenant. Now, we know this particular <clears throat> chapter very well, but let's just pick up the record in verse 11. It says, Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, 
who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. But at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. Remember what the psalmist said. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make of himself one of twain, one new man, so making peace that he might reconcile both unto God, one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And he came and preached peace to you, which were far off to them that were nigh. For through him we have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore we are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly, fitly framed together groweth into an holy temple in Yahweh, in whom you are also builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. And so it is that the dwelling place of God has moved from between the cherubim and the mercy seat to the, to, the, to the new body. And he desires to tabernacle with us now. So we're no longer strangers from the covenants of promise. Jesus is our peace because he made peace. It's because in him that mercy and truth met. Reconciliation has happened. And that's the the privileged position that we find ourselves in. And we are now not, no longer um, left to ourselves, but we are now fellow citizens of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, our Lord Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And so it is, brothers and sisters, that we've looked at these principles this evening. And what we would like to do, God willing, next week is to have a a, a slightly deeper look at the principles of mercy and truth in relation to God's character and the outworking thereof in particular aspects. We, we see them in our Lord Jesus Christ now. We, we see them. And we'll see how the outworking of his work as high priest now, he is um, full of mercy and truth. And then will God willing look at our responsibility to manifest the principles of mercy and truth in our walk. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. 
you can email us at btf at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen. Thank you.